G'day, folks, and welcome. I'm Chris Faber. And I'm TJ Stedman. And you're listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast coming to you from sunny Western Australia. G'day, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, the show that tackles, yes, tackles with ferocious ferocity. Your questions about the biblical giants, we are drawing ever nearer to the thrilling conclusion of season three of the podcast. And that means that today we're going to be talking about the exile. And honestly, just happy to be talking about anything other than that weird horror movie that Tim introduced me to last week with Sideshow Oddities and Scary People. One of us. One of us. Stop it. Just stop it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's right. We are talking about the exile. And that makes this episode kind of a big deal. Okay, so there are a few things we want to talk about on this episode of the podcast. Last time, we talked about exile as a means of taking the man and his wife away from something that was potentially bad for them because they had demonstrated that they lacked the obedience that would have proved them worthy and shown them as mature humans capable of handling something greater. We talked about how the text belittles the humans and cuts them down in order to release them from their delusions of grandeur and glory. And that's very different to the kind of thing that we want to hear because we want to be patted on the back and told that we're good and that everything's going to be okay. But we are not good and things are not okay. And that is the point of this whole text. What's the alternative there then? I mean, it sounds kind of harsh the way that we've uh, looked at this text as God giving the humans a bit of a dressing down, so to speak. Or actually, I guess perhaps even a, uh, a dressing up since he dressed them up. It sounds like a Tim joke. Uh, but how else could uh, God have dealt with the man or the woman? Yeah, well, you know, when you reflect on the text and what actually happens to the man and his wife, they actually get off pretty lightly. And although the punishment sounds harsh, they're sort of getting what they wanted in a way. But we're going to find out what could have happened when we look at other examples of what really did happen in exile. Today I want to talk about what it is to be in exile from a biblical standpoint and what the expectation from God would be around how people are to conduct themselves while in exile. We're going to find out that there's a message for God's people in exile to bring to the people living around them. And we're going to look at some examples in the broader biblical narrative that will help us to understand why this foundational element becomes a recurring theme throughout Scripture. But first... We're going to read our text for today, which I already spoiled for you last week because we were introduced to it there when God interrupted himself to remove the humans from the Garden of Eden because of the imminent danger that they were in. Here's our text from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. There you go, short and sweet. This isn't the first time that the people of God were sent into exile. Chronologically, I guess it is, and it comes first in the Bible. But by the time the story was written, God's people had already experienced an exile of a different kind. Let's talk about another event that occurred around the 15th century BC. I'm just using that as a ballpark figure because I know some people may differ on the chronology. I don't really care. I'm not getting into that debate. Typically, we think of exile as being removed from your homeland or being forced to leave it for some reason. But I think what we're going to see here is that you can be in exile even if you haven't yet found a place to call your own. And for many people, there is a very real danger that they may never truly come home at all. This is from Acts chapter 7 and the speech that Stephen gave before his martyrdom. 
from verse 40. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So you will have heard the word exile in that passage, but I bet you missed what I was actually talking about. So we'll try again with another passage. And here we have another account from the New Testament. This is from Hebrews chapter 3 in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So what was this day of testing then that the, the author of Hebrews is describing? Well, for that, we have to go back into the Old Testament and to the book of Numbers. I am about to read a very long passage of scripture, so read along with me from Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, and we're going to get into chapter 14 as well. So here we go. This is from Numbers 13, 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land, because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. 
and we must have seen the same to them. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back into Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, The land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me, despite all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. Then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are. But Moses replied to the Lord, The Egyptians will hear about it. For by your strength you brought up this people from them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. How you, Lord, are seen face to face. How your cloud stands over them and how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. If you kill this people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will declare, since the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them, he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now, may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. Yet as surely as I live, and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the lowlands, turn back tomorrow and head for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaints that they make against me. Tell them, as surely as I live, this is the Lord's declaration. I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. All of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you, 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. 
I will bring your children whom you said would become plunder into the land you rejected and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness until all your corpses lie scattered in the wilderness. You will bear the consequences of your iniquities 40 years based on the number of the 40 days that you scouted the land. A year for each day, you will know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community that has conspired against me. They will come to an end in the wilderness, and there they will die. So the men Moses sent to scout out the land, and who returned and incited the entire community to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land, those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by the Lord. Only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh remained alive of those men who went to scout out the land. So all of the scripture that we've just been reading relates back to this event described in Numbers when Moses sent spies into the promised land and when the spies saw the Nephilim in the land, they got freaked out and decided to talk everybody out of it. The interesting thing about this is that while the author of Hebrews talks about this as unbelief, Stephen, in his speech, spoke about it in terms closer to something like disloyalty to God. Whatever the case, there's a feature of the text that I really wanted you to notice, which is why our reading in Numbers was so long. There was something at the start and something at the end of that long passage in chapters 13 and 14. Did you notice the recurrence of the number 40? There were 40 days of spying out the land and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of the faithlessness of the people text actually tells us that there is a direct correlation between those numbers. In chapter 14, verse 34, which I'll read again just to bring it home, you will bear the consequences of your iniquities 40 years based on the number of the 40 days that you scouted the land. A year for each day you will know my displeasure. Coming back to our biblical definition of exile, if we consider that the Israelites came out of Egypt and all they wanted to do was go back there when God had a better place to take them, perhaps we could consider exile not just in terms of being removed from the place that you're used to calling home, but instead being removed from the place where you belong. You might be wondering why I'm talking about the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness and using that to shape our concept of exile. Funny you should mention that, Tim. I was just wondering why you're talking about the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness and using that to shape our concept of exile. Well, let's look at this chronologically. The Israelite people went from a family group to a multitude in Egypt and on their way to the promised land, they established themselves as a nation under God. Although they knew the stories of their ancestors, the patriarchs, and they knew that Egypt was not where they belonged, it was still the closest thing that they had known to a home. But right when they were on the cusp of having their very own land where they would dwell with God and see him face to face, the people of Israel rejected their God and the land he had provided for them. And so began 40 years of exile. It's not clear how much of the primeval history was known to the Israelites at this point. It would be impossible to say with any certainty if they had the Garden of Eden story as we know it, or in any form at all. What we do know is that we don't find any allusions to it earlier than the Psalms. No reference to Eden as the garden of God until we get to Ezekiel. And no references to the fall of man until we get into the second temple period. So 
the chances are quite high that we're looking at a later date for the Garden of Eden story as we know it. And that won't be a surprise for listeners to the podcast because I've been talking about that since our very first episode for those who came in late. But what that means is that the story of the banishment from the Garden of Eden did not precede the event of the banishment from the Promised Land. Let's not confuse the narrative setting with the date of authorship. And that was just the first exile, the wilderness wanderings, before the people had even taken possession of the land. We still have the event of the actual exile itself under the tyranny of King Nebuchadnezzar II in 586 BC. And it is in that setting, against that backdrop, that the story of exile from the place where God lived with his people needed to be told. So the story of the Garden of Eden was written to help people in exile to understand their situation. Yeah, that's right. For a generation growing up in exile, having never known their own homeland, there was nothing more important than to hear a message of hope from the older generation who had seen these things and could testify that after years and even generations of being displaced and being homeless and living in temporary in-between spaces, there was still hope in God's faithfulness for those who would turn to him and be faithful. That's the story of the Exodus and the journey in the wilderness that eventually resulted in the inheritance of the promised land. But what the story of Eden does is it takes that sense of displacement and loss and makes it much broader to encompass all people and to help the exiles see that they're not the only ones feeling this way. All mankind have become alienated from God, and that's the power of an archetypal story, like the Eden narrative. The spies in the wilderness had been there and seen how good the promised land really was, and the exiles in Babylon remembered their homeland. Those who had seen the good land that God had promised were the ones responsible for bringing the good news of the hope of God's faithfulness to his people. And it's only in the light of God's faithfulness demonstrated that the story of exile from Eden delivers any hope at all. You might not be convinced that the wilderness wanderings are any kind of comparison to the Babylonian exile, but here's an interesting thought. The prophet Jeremiah ministered to the people for 40 years, just like Moses did. Moses brought the people out of Egypt through the wilderness and as far as the border of the promised land. Jeremiah witnessed the removal of his people from the promised land as they went into exile before he himself was exiled to Egypt. So there are some interesting parallels there at the very least. If that's the case, it should be important to us to take special interest in Jeremiah's message. Because if that is a legitimate parallel, then what he has to say is of utmost importance to the exiles. So here's an excerpt from Jeremiah chapter 7 from verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words, chanting, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly toward one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, 
You keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we're rescued so we can continue doing all these detestable acts. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, this should be really pricking our ears up as Christians, because for us, the temple of the Lord and the house that bears God's name is ourselves as human beings. It's God's image bearers, and it's our bodies that are temples of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue in Jeremiah from chapter 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the words of this covenant and tell them to the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem. Tell them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let a curse be on the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. I declared, obey me and do everything that I command you, and you will be my people and I will be your God. In order to establish the oath I swore to your ancestors, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is today. I answered, Amen, Lord. The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Obey the words of this covenant and carry them out. For I strongly warned your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt until today, warning them time and time again, Obey me. Yet they would not obey or pay attention. Each one followed the stubbornness of his evil heart. So I brought on them all the curses of this covenant, because they had not done what I commanded them to do. You should be noticing here a very strong flavour of the book of Deuteronomy coming through in Jeremiah. So what were the, the curses of the covenant that Jeremiah was talking about? Ooh, okay. You asked for it. Uh, this is Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15. But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands and statutes I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed and your land's produce, the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send against you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of the wickedness of your actions in abandoning me. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you until he has exterminated you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will afflict you with wasting disease, fever, inflammation, burning heat, drought, blight, and mildew. These will pursue you until you perish. The sky above you will be bronze and the earth beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will march out against them from one direction, but flee from them in seven directions. You will be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your corpses will be food for all the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth with no one to scare them away. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt tumours, a festering rash, and scabies from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and mental confusion, so that at noon you will grope as a blind person gropes in the dark. You will not be successful in anything you do. You will only be oppressed and robbed continually 
no one will help you. You will become engaged to a woman, but another man will rape her. You will build a house, but not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but not enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Your donkey will be taken away from you and not returned to you. Your flock will be given to your enemies and no one will help you. Your sons and daughters will be given to another people while your eyes grow weary looking for them every day, but you will be powerless to do anything. A people you don't know will eat your land's produce and everything you have laboured for. You will only be oppressed and crushed continually. You will be driven mad by what you see. The Lord will afflict you with painful and incurable boils on your knees and thighs, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king that you have appointed to a nation neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, scorn and ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but harvest little because locusts will devour it. You will plant and cultivate vineyards, but not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your territory, but not moisten your skin with oil because your olives will drop off. You will father sons and daughters, but they will not remain yours because they will be taken prisoner. Buzzing insects will take possession of all your trees and your land's produce. The resident alien among you will rise higher and higher above you while you sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you won't lend it to him. He will be the head and you will be the tail. All these curses will come, pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, since you did not obey the Lord your God and keep the commands and statutes he gave you. These curses will be a sign and a wonder against you and your descendants forever. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart, Even though you had an abundance of everything, you will serve your enemies the Lord will send against you in famine, thirst, nakedness, and a lack of everything. He will place an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation from far away from the ends of the earth to swoop down on you like an eagle, a nation whose language you won't understand, a ruthless nation showing no respect for the old and not sparing the young. They will eat the offspring of your livestock and your land's produce until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, fresh oil, young of your herds or newborn of your flocks until they cause you to perish. They will besiege you within all your city gates until your high and fortified walls that you trust in come down throughout your land. They will besiege you within all your city gates throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. You will eat your offspring, the flesh of your sons and daughters the Lord has given you during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you. The most sensitive and refined man among you will look grudgingly at his brother, the wife he embraces and the rest of his children, refusing to share with any of them his children's flesh that he will eat because he has nothing left during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you in all your towns. The most sensitive and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her refinement and sensitivity will begrudge the husband she embraces, her son and her daughter, the afterbirth that comes out from between her legs and the children she bears because she will secretly eat them. Lack of anything else during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you within your city gates. If you are not careful to obey all the words of this law, which are written in this scroll, 
by fearing this glorious and awe-inspiring name, the Lord your God. He will bring wondrous plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues and terrible and chronic sicknesses. He will afflict you again with all the diseases of Egypt which you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also afflict you with every sickness and plague not recorded in the book of this law until you are destroyed. Though you were as numerous as the stars of the sky, you will be left with only a few people because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as the Lord was glad to cause you to prosper and to multiply you, so he will also be glad to cause you to perish and to destroy you. You will be ripped out of the land you are entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. You will find no peace among those nations, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a despondent spirit. Your life will hang in doubt before you. You will be in dread night and day, never certain of survival. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening, and in the evening you will say, if only it were morning, because of the dread you will have in your heart and because of what you will see. The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. That is a lot of cursing. I'm almost sorry I asked. But on the positive side, there couldn't possibly be any more curses, right? You want some more? Because I've got more. How about this from Leviticus 26? Oh, man, okay. Hit me with it. All right, from verse 13. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. But if you do not obey me and observe all these commands... If you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring terror on you, wasting disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will sow your seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will turn against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. But if after these things you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. I will break down your strong pride. I will make your sky like iron and your land like bronze. And your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. If you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, I will multiply your plagues seven times for your sins. I will send wild animals against you that will deprive you of your children, ravage your livestock and reduce your numbers until your roads are deserted. If in spite of these things you do not accept my discipline but act with hostility toward me, then I will act with hostility toward you. I also will strike you seven times for your sins. I will bring a sword against you to execute the vengeance of the covenant. Though you withdraw into your cities, I will send a pestilence among you, and you will be delivered into enemy hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, ten women will bake your bread in a single oven and ration out your bread by weight, so that you will eat but not be satisfied. And if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility toward me, I will act with furious hostility toward you. I will also discipline you seven times for your sins. 
You will eat the flesh of your sons. You will eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your shrines, and heap your lifeless bodies on the lifeless bodies of your idols. I will reject you. I will reduce your cities to ruins and devastate your sanctuaries. I will not smell the pleasing aroma of your sacrifices. I also will devastate the land so that your enemies who come to live there will be appalled by it. But I will scatter you among the nations and I will draw a sword to chase after you. So your land will become desolate and your cities will become ruins. Then the land will make up for its Sabbath years during the time it lies desolate while you are in the land of your enemies. At that time, the land will rest and make up for its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it will have the rest it did not have during your Sabbaths when you lived there. I will put anxiety in the hearts of those of you who survive in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a wind-driven leaf will put them to flight, and they will flee as one flees from a sword, and fall though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as if fleeing from a sword, though no one is pursuing them. You will not be able to stand against your enemies. You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those who survive in the lands of your enemies will waste away because of their iniquity. They will also waste away because of their father's iniquities along with theirs. But when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility toward me, and I acted with hostility toward them and brought them into the land of their enemies, and when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land abandoned by them will make up for its Sabbaths by lying desolate without the people, while they make amends for their iniquity, because they rejected my ordinances and abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject or abhor them so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them, since I am the Lord their God. For their sake I will remember the covenant with their fathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes, ordinances and laws the Lord established between himself and the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. And as we know from history, all these things did come upon the people of Israel because they turned away from God, just as Moses had predicted they would. Remember that curses are pronouncements of destiny that are negative in nature. So if the conditions of the curse are met, these bad things will happen. Mm, mental note, don't do the bad things. Yeah, uh, but we're not left without hope because the words of Jeremiah showed the heart of God toward his people and gave the conditions of the exile fairly clearly, and the condition was repentance. If you repent, then you will not suffer these things. So whether we remain in exile or not depends on the condition of the heart and the obedience of the individual to God's law, the terms of the covenant agreement. So we're going to read some more scripture. Okay, but there better not be any more curses. I think I'm uh, all cursed out. All right. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and onwards. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
This was after King Jeconiah, the Queen Mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisar, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The letter stated, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. So there you go, a little context for those Bible verses you got stuck on your fridge or on the wall in the toilet. And what does Jeremiah say about how the exiles are to live in Babylon? This is the model for New Testament authors in their instruction to believers. This world is not your home. Live as foreigners in the land. Live in the world, but don't be of the world. Seek the good of your enemies. And if you do all these things, you'll get to go to your homeland and be in the presence of God. This should all be really familiar stuff. So what are we seeing here? God is looking for our obedience. That's what he said for 40 years in the wilderness. That's what he said for 70 years in Babylon. That's the message of Jesus and the message of the apostles. So why did the man get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Disobedience. Pure and simple. We've been through this before, but I'll say it again. The exile didn't happen because of temptation. It didn't happen because of selfish desires and ambitions. It didn't happen because of sinful thoughts. And it didn't happen because of a conversation with a serpent. It happened because of disobedience. Okay, but what about all that stuff about uh, settling down in their in their land, building houses, having wives, all that kind of stuff? What does that have to do with living the way God wants us to live? Well, think about it this way. You're living in exile in Babylon, yearning to go home and lamenting your awful situation. You've got the words of the prophets written on the subway walls, I mean, ringing in your ears. And then you hear a story about mankind being created by God as his image bearer and as a vessel that carries his spirit. Suddenly it dawns on you that you are God's representative. And this man in the story, who represents all of us, gets exiled for disobedience. Nevertheless, this man has a job to do because the text tells us that the man was sent out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. And we all know what that means. Yeah, we all know what that means. Hang on, what does that mean? 
it means that the man has still got the same job that he had in the garden, but now he's got to do it out in the wider world away from his home. And his job is to serve the ground from which he was taken. We've talked before about what it means to serve the ground. The Hebrew word Adamah is the word used to describe the cultivated soil of the land. And that is representative of the civilized peoples of the world. It was from the human population that the man was chosen in the first place to be a particular representative of God. Now he's called to go back there and to serve the people from which he was taken. Let's not get caught up in agricultural terms here. The Hebrew does not suggest breaking up the ground with the plow and dominating it and forcing it to bend to your will and give you what you want. In Hebrew, you serve the ground. You look after it. You give it what it needs. And there will be reciprocal benefits as a result of your good stewardship. Mm, and that sounds a lot like what uh, Jeremiah was saying, that seeking the good of Babylon. Yeah, that's right. You'll notice that there's no encouragement to fight the world system or bring down the power. God doesn't tell the exiles to burn Babylon. He tells them to seek its good and its prosperity in order that the exiles also may prosper. This is the people of God living out the promise given to Abraham that they would be a blessing to the nations. And this whole story from Genesis 1 to 11 is the, the setup for this situation. God brought his people into exile so that they could reach the world by representing God to the nations. That's exactly right. And the reward for obedience in this mission is the inheritance of the Holy Land. Only by now, God's people should be beginning to realize that the Holy Land was in themselves the whole time. Unfortunately, it takes a bit more work for the people to come to that conclusion. And ultimately, they can't achieve this on their own because they still have to find an answer for the question posed by the seed of the woman who mysteriously crushes the head of the serpent while suffering a mortal wound according to the text of Genesis 3.15. The people of God will have to wait until somebody comes along who is able to accomplish this and emerge victorious. Indeed. Uh, and this has been a really great discussion, as always. It has brought a lot of light to our understanding of the Scripture. Um, but I think we're out of time now, so we'll have to say goodbye to our listeners. But don't worry, we will be back next week to find out what happens at the end of the Eden story so we'll see you then when we return with another episode of the answers to giant questions podcast yeah that's right folks and don't forget although we didn't go into a q a segment this week because i thought it was important that we spent some time on the exile you can always send us your questions about the nephilim or creation or the garden of eden or about this episode or anything else that you've heard on the show head to giantanswers.com or catch us on the socials that's all for now we'll catch you next time Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. It's time to wrap up today's episode, but if you want more, don't forget to get yourself a copy of Answers to Giant Questions. We're asking readers to please leave a review of the book on Amazon or Goodreads to help it become more visible in search results. Even if you just give it stars, that'll help. But a full review is certainly really appreciated. Please also leave a review of this podcast wherever you found us so that new listeners can find us here on the show. In the future, we want to be talking about your stories as well, not just our own. So if you have had a particular paranormal or spiritual experience, we want to hear from you. And we're also looking for your testimonies about how you have found the content and the answers to giant questions to be helpful and or useful. Of course, this podcast comes out every week, but you want to make sure you never miss an episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, do that now and you'll get notified when each new episode drops. That's all we have time for today. We'll catch you next time on the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. Thank you for listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, a 
production of the Raven Creek Social Club. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate or review the show. Music supplied under copyright by Grave Forsaken. Graveforsaken.com. You can get the book Answers to Nine Questions by DJ Stephen on Amazon. Paperback and Check out the other podcasts at ravencreeksc.com. Read the blog and have us on the socials, don't forget to subscribe to your friends for the show. Send us all your questions and stay tuned to this podcast to get answered. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe. And yes, something really weird happened. Okay. Uh, not related to the actual show, but I didn't know that. So we got in there and we were a couple of minutes late because we kind of um, took our time at dinner beforehand. Mm. So when we get in, like nearly every seat's taken, we're sort of working our way across the row to get to our seats and um, sort of sitting down in the dark and trying not to interrupt people who are watching. Yeah. And um, so I sort of fold the seat down and, and sit and then I'm like, oh, oh, hang on, I'm sitting on something. And I'm thinking to myself, either oh, the lady in the seat next to me must have left their purse or something. So I'm trying to grab this thing under my bum while I'm trying not to disturb anybody else. And I'm sort of reaching around trying to grab whatever it is that's like wedged in the back of the seat. And um, and I grab it and I start sort of pulling it out. And I'm like, this is a big object. Like, what is this? And as I'm pulling it out, it's sort of getting longer and longer and then Eventually, I realised that I'm holding a big rubber mallet, and okay. like the handle of it had gone down the crack between the the base of the seat and the back. Okay. Just left the head of the mallet, and that's what I'd sat on. What? And and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? This is like some sort of a joke. Like it's such a ridiculous thing to find in your seat, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, maybe this is like part of the show, like there's some kind of a setup going on here and I'm part of it now, you know, because like Pete had bought me the um, ticket to the show as a, as a birthday present. Mm. And so I thought, you know, maybe something's been arranged here and, you know, there's, <laughs> there's something going on. Yeah. And for the whole show, I was just waiting for um, for Colin Lane to go, I wish I had a mallet. <laughs> Does anyone have <laughs> You know, <laughs> the, the whole time I'm thinking this is going to come up surely because I've got this mallet. <laughs> you didn't mention it to Peter? So what's well, he was, he was looking quite puzzled as well, and then I thought well, maybe he's putting it on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I really didn't trust anyone at this point. And... Yes. I'm sitting there the whole time with this mallet, which I just ended up like leaving on the floor in front of me. And, um, you know, we get to the end of the show and nothing's happened. And I'm like, okay, well, now I'm really puzzled because it would have made sense to leave a rubber mallet on someone's seat in a comedy act if it was involved in the show. Yes. Um, just finding a rubber mallet in your seat completely unrelated to the comedy show is weird. Um, did you ever solve the mystery? Did you just speak to the front of house? Or? Yeah, I did. Um, 
I found uh, found this guy who was sort of coordinating things, and I said, "Hey, I found this rubber mallet in my chair." And um, and he goes, "Oh yeah, look, it's probably one of the guys who's been setting up the stage and whatnot. And, you know, they've they've dropped it or left it behind or something. You know, I'll I'll hand it on to him." I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, cool." Um, so that was kind of uh, anticlimactic. So it wasn't like a prop. Like it was an actual mallet that I had. Oh yeah, like a proper tool, and oh, it right. like it had been used. Okay. The the awkward part was when the lights come on and everyone gets up to leave, and I'm standing there in this long black coat because you know it was quite rainy and windy and everything outside, and so I was sort of dressed for the weather and had this long coat on, mm. and I get up and I'm holding this enormous mallet. <laughs> And people are starting to notice that I'm holding a large mallet and thinking, well, what the hell has he got that for? And I'm looking at the lady who was sitting next to me. And I said, do you know anything about this? She's like, no, I had no idea what was there. And, um, and, then, I, and then I've got to walk out holding it and I'm sort of like trying not to. You didn't want to leave it there. I'm, you know, I'm sort of thinking, do I look more sus with a giant mallet if I'm stuffing it under my coat or do I just walk out holding it proudly or well, you know, what, what do you do? Like, yes. <laughs> so in the end, I decided to just own it and, you know, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just be um, Thor, you know. Yes. With, a, with an enormous uh, oversized hammer and why not? <laughs> it's, it's funny because now anytime anybody asks me how the Owen Woodley show went, I spend more time talking about my experience with the completely unrelated rubber mallet than I do actually. Do it, so. well, it's good to have a break in the curses. Yes, uh, curses can be quite taxing. Mm. Taxes can be quite cursing. Someone's, oh, you got me. <laughs> uh, it's too good to miss. But tax returns are a blessing. Uh, they are until the government decides that they returned too much tax to you and then they curse you for it. I've had that experience. Uh, I thought you might uh, continue your curses, please. I insist. Oh, I will bring the curses. Let's have the curses. <laughs> Just don't look at me in the eyes when you read them out. Right. All right. You, could all, you could all bless me with silence. That'd be nice. Uses the amount of cursing I do. Just remember, children are a blessing from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially when they're asleep. Yes.